Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Swapnil Sahai, who's the co-founder and CEO of Swing Vision, previously worked on autopilot at Tesla, and Swing Vision is building AI for athletes. Right now, they're focused on tennis, and their app provides real-time on-device video analysis and coaching using proprietary AI on just a single smartphone. They were recently featured in the Apple 2020 Fall Keynote and are backed by investors like Andy Roddick, James Blake, and Techstars. In this episode, we go through how they started this company, why they originally built a product for the Apple Watch and decided to switch to something that could be used in an iPhone, how he got investors like Andy Roddick and James Blake on board for Swing Vision, his experience going through the Techstars Accelerator, and of course, we had to talk about what it was like working for Elon Musk and what Swapnow took away from that experience as well at Tesla. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month Fee structure gave clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And To get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Swapnil Sahai, co-founder and CEO of Swing Vision. Swapnil, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yes, great to have you on. And there's there's a lot to talk about with every company, especially Swing Vision and even recent events. I know we kind of just talked about this, uh, but I want to talk about the, the the Apple keynote real quick, just because it's it's relevant for the timeliness of this. How did that come about? Swap now. Yeah, I mean, so it was pretty crazy. You know, we didn't even know that we were going to be featured in the keynote. Um, you know, we were told that we were going to be featured in something related to the iPad, but, you know, Apple always likes to keep it a secret. So we were just watching the keynote and then just mentioned our app. It was so crazy. So we were, we started getting like a bunch of emails from users and investors and stuff. It was really fun. So. And that I want to set the stage with that just to show the, the excitement of what's happening now. But obviously, this has taken some time uh, to build this. And, and what I want to just for people for context as well with Swing Vision, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're all doing with this. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, at the basic level, it's essentially an app for the iPhone or the iPad, and it analyzes your tennis footage in real time. So we have our own neural networks that process your video, we track your ball trajectory in real time. And so this allows us to generate all kinds of statistics that typically you'd only get if you're a pro player. And then what's also really fun is that we can cut your video down to just like the best moments. So it makes it really easy to just watch your best rallies. And then you can share that with your friends and family. Or if you're really serious, you can also review your form. So it's just a great way to experience tennis like like the pros, essentially. <laughs> Which is such a useful thing for any tennis player. And obviously, you have a lot of experience with, with doing this and, and your work at Tesla and everything. What I want to get to, though, is how did you decide to start Swing Vision in the first place? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it was basically, I was a tennis player my whole life. Um, my roommate from undergrad, actually, Richard, he and I were both tennis players. And we always wanted to be able to, you know, track our match, like the pros and see what kind of stats we had. Like even just basic things, like, you know, how fast is my serve or <laughs> how how good am I on break points? Like, am I a clutch player or do I just choke every time? You know, like just <laughs> basic things like that. Yeah, There's no way to track that. And it was just it was crazy to me, like in the age of Strava and all this stuff, like there's nothing there for sports like tennis or, you know, ball and racket sports in general. So that was really where the original inspiration came about. Um, and it's obviously a hard problem to solve. There's a reason why it, it hasn't existed yet. And so we kind of, as we iterated more on the product, we kind of realized that like computer vision would have to be the solution, but it actually took us a while to get to that point. Um, the product originally started very differently. It was just for the Apple watch. So you could like, track your strokes and things like that with the watch, you could keep score. That was actually the initial product that we worked on kind of almost like a side hustle. We weren't doing it full time at the time. Um, but just the more that we kind of learned from our user base, we found out that, you know, if we really wanted to be able to bring the experience to everybody, we'd want to go to the iPhone and we'd want to be able to do things just using the video camera. So it's like no manual input required at all. And um, that's where we realized like, okay, we have to do this with computer vision essentially. Yeah, and, and I want to dive deeper into that. What I'm curious about first, though, is with that transition from doing something with the Apple Watch and kind of more so tracking in that way, at what point, though, did you decide that you really need to go computer vision, you need to go full out with just the camera? I mean, was it like user after user just telling you this or like, how did you get to that transition point? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't say it was users really telling us that, but I think it was just more you know, we, we felt like we took the watch to its potential, sort of like we took it to where it could go. And um, ultimately realized that, you know, not everybody has a watch. I think that was really the big thing. Like we were asking people, you know, why, why isn't everybody using this? Or why aren't all of your friends using it yet? And people were just like, well, not all of them have a watch. So that was kind of the light bulb. It was like, oh, that's why. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not that they don't think it's cool. They think it's cool, but they just don't have a watch. Maybe they don't feel like they need to buy one. So um, that was really where like, oh man, if we could build something that everybody could use, then this would become a much bigger business. This would be a much more useful product. Um, and so that's when we realized like, okay, we should probably make something on the iPhone. So then it's like, okay, how do we do that? Well, um, you know, it looks like we have to use the camera because the camera can see everything. And so that was really how we realized how to move in that direction. <laughs> and real quick too, what was the, the watch version of this? Like what did that kind of consist of? You said people liked what you had with it. I mean, what was that version? Yeah. So one thing that was that we did really, really well on the watch was you could track scores. So you could like swipe on the screen to keep score. And it sounds very simple, but this is actually a big problem. A lot of people have arguments over the score and they forget like what the score is. Yeah. So that alone was like super valuable. But then we were also probably the first watch app to use um, machine learning because we would actually analyze your accelerometer gyroscope data in real time. And then we would actually be able to tell you like what strokes you're hitting. Are you hitting forehand? Are you hitting backhand? How fast is your swing? Are you hitting topspin or slice? We could tell all of that. Um, and so it was very innovative actually and really pushed the edge of what you can do with the watch. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we wanted to be able to see more data. We wanted to be able to see where's the ball actually landing, you know, how are you moving around on the court and maybe even call the lines. You know, that was like our aspiration at the time. So, you know, in order to do that, you need to kind of see more clearly with, with a camera. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, there's way more to that, but I, the complexities I can only imagine. From working at Tesla to then Swing Vision full time, how did you make the break to then do it full time? I've I've had a long history of Tesla. Like I interned with them two separate summers while I was in grad school, 
And then I joined them full time after I finished my PhD and I worked there for almost two years. Um, had a lot of fun. It was just like the best experience ever. <laughs> and, you know, we were, we were like, and our pilot team is, was basically at the forefront. We were like, Elon's desk was like 10 feet in front of me. I could see him like every day. We, we presented to him on a weekly basis. Like it was just the craziest experience ever. Um, wow. But just, you know, it's, it's intense. You know how Tesla is. It's like, super intense and long hours, but it's, everybody just loves it. It's like so fun and Autopilot is such a cool product. I think it's going to save so many lives and it's just so groundbreaking. So it was really fun to work there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the more I worked there, the more I, I started to learn about the, um, just how to solve like problems in computer vision and neural networks. And so it was kind of like, I knew I wanted to build this product um, in Swing Vision, but I didn't really know exactly how to do it. My my studies were more in like statistics and machine learning, but not necessarily like in computer vision. So um, Tesla was almost like what taught me how to solve this problem in a way. And so as I just became more familiar with it, um, that's where I started to realize, like I started to have the conviction and the, and the confidence that like, okay, I can actually solve it myself. Um, I don't need to wait for somebody to go out there and like raise a bunch of money and do it themselves. So that was basically when I realized like, okay, we can do it. And, um, and if we don't do it, like someone else is probably gonna do it in five <laughs> years, but we might as well just do it now. So, so yeah. that's kind of why we realized like, okay, let's get together and actually do this thing full time. Um, and so that was like a pretty crazy leap for us. Um, we, Richard and I both are not risk averse or super risk averse. And like, we never thought we'd do a startup, but we just kind of had the belief and we were fortunately able to raise, raise enough money to get started. And and from that standpoint, I mean, you're leaving Tesla, which many people are obviously trying to get into. There's so much about this because it's it, it's yeah. such a great company. Uh, it, it, what 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 are some of the things you're thinking about that time? I know you kind of just mentioned a few of them, but in terms of the idea of leaving a company to start this, uh, what are I mean, what are the pro con lists you're making? I mean, what were some of the things you're, you're going mm -hmm. through? Because I know there's other people who are in similar positions who are you know have ideas for companies, but they're working at a tesla a really good company like, take me through your, your mindset there oh man yeah that is probably my hardest decision to life uh to, to date in my life like it's yeah. it's so difficult because especially you know at tesla because i just really loved what i was doing like i it's just every day i was so engaged i was working on hard problems um and it's i was i just felt like i was working on something so important for the world too so it was really hard to leave that um but, you know, ultimately, I just I, think I felt like I had spent a good amount of time there. I mean, one and a half years or two years doesn't seem very long, I guess. But um, at Tesla, people always say like two years at Tesla is like four years anywhere else. We just move <laughs> so fast. So yeah. I felt like, you know, I had I had to work there. I think, you know, I could have grown more in the company probably a little bit. But, you know, ultimately, I was like, man, it would be really nice to have an opportunity to just kind of work for myself and try this out. And it just seemed like a massive opportunity to work on something that was like a passion of mine as well. and. I already learned at Tesla that like, if I love what I'm doing, I can do a really good job. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I realized like, I've, I've always loved sports my whole life. I've loved tennis. So if I could go like hundred percent in on it, I could really see this thing to its potential. Um, and that was really, the, that was really what it was. Cause I was starting to work on some of this video analysis stuff for swing as well. Like while I was at Tesla, but it was just, I just couldn't push it, you know, yeah. just working part-time. So I was just like, Oh man, I really don't like doing things half-baked. Like I want to go all in. And so that was really kind of what made me make the leap. And also, my parents wanted me to, to leave Tesla and work full time on this. My my girlfriend at the time, now she's my fiance, wanted me to do it as well. So like everybody was supporting me in this, which is crazy because especially for Indian parents, typically they want you to take it the safe route. But yeah, that's what, just seeing my parents supporting me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just like I don't know, it was really nice of them to support me in that and they, they saw how much I loved what I was doing at Swing. So they just really wanted me to kind of go forward with it.
Well, yeah, what, I mean, to that point, just go a little bit deeper on that. I mean, what else was it that made them say, "Hey, yeah, you should you should quit Tesla <laughs> to yeah. do to your own things." That's, <laughs> that seems like a lot. I just am really curious as to what they were saying to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, it's like a massive drop in income because you go from like whatever you were making to like essentially <laughs> zero. So, like yeah. that obviously sucks, but. Um, you know, for them, it was, it was just like, you're still young, you have a chance to like, you know, make your own name, like, you can pursue this thing that you're so clearly so passionate about, because they saw like, I was working on this, like in the evenings, like, in, on the weekends, like, my, my whole t- free time was consumed by swing, basically. So they were just like, you're already enjoying it so much, like, just do it full time, then you can do like a really good job on it. And it'll be a little bit healthier, too, because I was like working way too much. I think that was probably part of it, too. Yeah, so they're like, he's obviously never going to give up swing. So it's like, he should probably just go in full time. <laughs> I think that's it's, kind of what it was. It's so funny you mentioned that it's like, yeah, it's, it's actually easier to go full time than to, to do both in terms of a time commitment, because it is like, yeah, then it's like, oh, any there's no break, because you have to do yeah. swing, you want to do swing, you know. Um, exactly. and, and take me through then you mentioned the funding side of things. And I, I know you're back by Andy Roddick and James Blake, uh, just, you know, 10 superstars. How did the funding side of it go for you? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. You know, we, we actually went out and talked to, um, a few VCs as well before we actually like kind of dove in full time. And, you know, a lot of the response was like the market's not necessarily like big enough or, you know, I think we still didn't really have like a clear picture of exactly like how we were going to build the whole business. I think we're still just kind of starting out and everything. Um, but we had a lot of angels who like really believed in the vision. They believed that this could become a really massive business. I think a lot of them were, you know, tennis players, so they kind of understand the potential of this. Yeah. But it, you kind of have to be like inside to really see like how big of a problem we're solving here. Um, and so that was kind of how we got our initial set of investment was just kind of angels in the Bay Area. And then um, we somehow got connected to James Blake. And then from there I got to Andy Roddick. And so they also believed in our vision. Um, and really what convinced them was at the time, the watch app that we had built was actually featured on Apple's website for I think it was like <laughs> Series Four. Um, so when the Series Four came out, we were featured as like one of the best apps next to like the Nike running app. So it was like crazy. So that was really what I think convinced Andy and James. Um, if we didn't go into those meetings with like something big like that, I think it would have been a lot harder to convince them. Um, but still, I mean, they they took a big risk because we were completely changing the product, you know, to something like completely different. And it's like you're trying to do line calling with one camera, like that's so hard. No one's ever. <laughs> before so it was a big risk for them to take but they really just believed in us they they really loved the team they thought we were super capable and they were impressed with kind of the relationship we'd already built with apple at the time so um that's kind of how we got them on board and and one thing too with you mentioned obviously the complexities of this and trying to explain that to uh investors tennis players people who Mm -hmm. are not computer vision experts how do you Mm -hmm. go about doing that because i am also a not not a computer vision expert. <laughs> I'm curious as to how you kind of walk people through a technical product like this. I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, what we try to do is focus more on the experience, you know, and we want to, We don't really try to go too much in the details all the time, but it's really more just like, you're going to record your match. We're going to be able to give you really awesome stats about your game. We're going to be able to call the lines for you. We're going to make it really easy for you to create highlights like the pros. Like we try to focus more on the experience typically. Um, but, you know, in terms of like, if you actually want to understand the technical portion of it, you know, it's it's like we're just using kind of state of the art algorithms to analyze your footage. We can we know exactly where the ball is. We can track this using neural networks. Um, and it's just really just like the, the bleeding edge of what AI is capable of doing now. Like AI has just become really um, effective in solving problems related to, I would say, like text and video and images. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of just 
pushing the boundary of what you can do with that in a specific application of tennis. Um, but you know, you're seeing the same type of stuff happening in self-driving cars. It's it's quite similar. And, and to that point, you know, with your experience at Tesla, how much do you think that factored in, or did it factor into the investments you're able to get in terms of understanding that you had this tech experience? Like, was that mentioned a, a lot in in these in meetings with investors, or how did that play a part? Yeah, I think that was. Um, probably the single biggest point of credibility for us. Um, you know, if I had tried to uh, start this company, maybe right after coming out of my PhD, maybe it would have been harder for sure. I think obviously I have, I have a good resume in terms of like educational background, but still, I think like this is so specific in terms of what we're trying to solve. And it's a very hard problem. And um, given that I've done basically the same thing and an even harder problem, I would say, um, <laughs> to solve driving cars, I think, yeah, it definitely adds a lot of credibility and makes people think like, okay, I think these guys at least have a good shot at it, you know, relative to someone else. Um, so yeah, that was massive part of the conversations. Um, even today, like when Andy and James will make intros to other people, um, you know, in the tennis industry, they're always kind of hyping me up and talking about my experience at Tesla. So it's really funny. So <laughs> they all, they all really love that part about it for sure. Yeah. Oh, but it's helpful to have that uh, undoubtedly. And one of the things you mentioned too, was with this, you know, investors questioning the size of the market and you saying people need to kind of be in it. I mean, to that point, I mean, where do you see this in terms of the market size for this or like where, uh, where this company could go is obviously you're looking at tennis, but obviously these applications could in theory be a lot different. I'm just curious on a high level, what you're thinking about from that perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's, this is a lot of tennis players. I mean, you have almost 20 million tennis players in the U.S. alone. Globally, it's like, you know, almost 90 million. And, you know, a lot of them are playing like more than like once a week. So, you know, yeah. most of the players are actually like pretty serious. Like in the U.S., it's almost like two thirds of the players or something like that. So, um, so it's like you have a lot of people who are very serious about the sport. And then so I think tennis globally is really large. I think what's nice about I mean, it's not nice, but it's kind of I guess we got lucky with the pandemic is that uh, you know, people are playing a lot more tennis because it's the safest sport you could probably can play at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we're starting to see like massive increase in participation, like in Australia, it's like almost hundred percent increase in participation year over year in tennis. Um, so it's just kind of crazy. Like it's just picking up again. And so I think we have a massive opportunity within that sport itself, I think to make a really large company, but beyond that, our technology, um, wouldn't be that difficult for us to translate to other racket sports. Right. So you have sports that are huge in asia like table tennis and badminton so i think there's massive opportunity there and then in general just there's so many sports that don't have anything like this i mean it's like baseball volleyball like basketball like so many sports that are you know more technical and um can't be tracked simply like by a gps tracker or anything like that there's just more sophistication there where you need computer vision and so i think we're really well positioned to solve really any of those problems that we choose to i think it's a matter of us for figuring out you know what's going to be the the fastest for us to get into in terms of a technology perspective um, and also like how big the market is and all of that. And yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things too, with looking at this company, I mean, obviously you can see the applications and it's a very clear use case. How are you going about spreading the word, uh, acquiring customers for the company then too? Yeah. You know, we haven't spent any money on marketing actually so far, but we are starting to do some experiments with ads and things like that. But really what's been super effective for us has been our Instagram. So we'll share content from our users, um, just like their best rallies. It's so funny because like we have this <laughs> incredible AI that creates the best rallies for you, yeah. but it turns out to be a really good growth engine too, which was not why we created it, but you know, I'll <laughs> take it. 
Um, so yeah, so we can create, we can find the best rallies of like anybody's match and we just like post it on, on IG and it gets like, you know, 10,000, 20,000, sometimes like 50,000 views without spending any money. It's crazy. And then, um, we also will mix in pro matches too. So the beauty about swing vision is it works for pros and amateurs. So we can pull like an old broadcast match from like 10 years ago, of Roger Federer or Andy Roddick, and we can run it through swing vision, analyze the shots, and then we'll create our own highlight reel with our own overlays. And then, so it's really cool because if you go to our Instagram, you can basically see that like our technology is bringing pros and amateurs onto the same platform. Um, and so it allows them to kind of compare each other. So you can see the pro matches are, they're hitting like 70, 80 miles per hour. Amateurs <laughs> are usually hitting more like 40 to 50 miles per hour, but it's just fun to be able to compare yourself for the first time with the pros, I think. Um, and so it's just, that's been like our primary driver of growth, probably, um, in terms of actual, you know, intentional efforts from our side. And then, uh, I think the product is also just naturally viral in terms of word of mouth. I think that's been the single biggest factor in terms of growth overall is just word of mouth. So, you know, people will play with a friend and then their friends like, oh, that's cool. You track my stats. Like, let me get the app. I want to also see my stats. And then, you know, so just kind of naturally spreads that way. So we're seeing a lot of our users basically telling like everybody in their club to sign up. It's crazy. <laughs> and everybody's just like jumping on it. So I think the word of mouth is, is really strong there too. And then lastly, um, we've just gotten a lot of help from Apple as, as you've probably seen. So, I mean, in addition yeah. to the keynote, we're featured in the sports category right now, the health and fitness category. And they always doing like features for us. Like when we release like brand new iterations of the product or when like new devices come out, they'll feature us. So it, they've been extremely helpful as well from that side. Yeah, I mean, it helps to the fact that you're solving a very hard problem, like you said, kind of bleeding edge technology that has a, a very clear use case, and then inherently built into the product by accident or not, it has a virality where you know people want to share that, and it it is something that is so visceral and like, yeah, it's just there's so many things to it that lends itself to growth without having to necessarily go the typical Facebook, Instagram paid route, mm -hmm. um, at least initially. And obviously you can yeah. put, you know, fuel in the fire with that, of course. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and with the team itself, then the team behind swing vision, take me to the mm -hmm. team and kind of how you know, your time as well is, is spent with, within swing vision. Yeah, for sure. So, um, our team now we have, uh, almost seven full-time people. It's actually six, but one, one person's like contractor still, um, but she's actually been with us for a few years now. So, you know, this is me, Richard, my co-founder. Um, we have our iOS engineer, Shannon. She's excellent. She's actually based out on the East Coast. So she actually works remotely. Um, but she used to work for Apple before. So she's like super strong. And then um, our UI UX designer, uh, Allison, is actually my neighbor from high school. <laughs> so that's how I know her. Um, she went to like design school down in L.A., and then um, we have Nikhil, who's our business development head. So he actually played tennis for Berkeley. So he's like division one tennis player. And um, he went to high school with me. So he's been helping us um, with our outreach with clubs. And now we're starting to work with the federations like Tennis Australia as well. Um, so he's been great. And then we have our machine learning engineer, Adit, from, who's also from Berkeley. So he was basically like top of his class when he graduated a few years ago um, from the electrical engineering department at Berkeley. Um, and in case I didn't mention Richard and I are from Berkeley, so that's why we're like super heavy Berkeley <laughs> team. <laughs> we kind of have a bias there. It makes sense. Um, yeah. And then we have, um, um, Prucker who's like our head of our data labeling team. So we have our in-house data labelers as well. Um, so we basically do everything in-house. So we do our in-house design, in-house uh, iOS development, in-house machine learning. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just all in-house. So that's kind of how our team is built. Um, and yeah, I mean, my time spent, you know, it, it changes so much, like from week to week, like, 
it is a big development push. Like I'll actually get on there and I'll be I'll be coding like either in the, in the iOS app itself. Um, sometimes I'm doing a lot of design work, like helping out Allison with some design and just like reviewing designs or maybe even making my own for like some new features or just kind of concepts that I have that I want to convey to her like a high level. Um, but I think most of my time now probably is just kind of talking with investors, talking with partners, um, you know, strategic partners, like bigger brands. We've started having some discussions with and um, federations like USTA or Tennis Australia, and also just talking with clubs as well um, here in the Bay Area. So kind of evangelizing the product essentially, and um, almost like helping with structuring a lot of those partnerships and deals, I would say. Um, yeah, and there's a, there's a couple things I want to go back to. One being on on the team side, how would you prioritize like, who do you want to bring on? You know, initially, because I know you you start this company, you have this idea for this, this this thing, and you're like, oh, we can we can solve this with 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 computer vision. But then, how would you prioritize? Okay, well, we need this person, then this person, and this person, because obviously you don't have unlimited cash. So I'm yeah. curious how you went about that. Yeah, so I mean, initially it was just me and Richard. I mean, for for a very long time, um, and then we actually brought on. Um, our iOS engineer probably um, before we started working on it full time, actually. So we had already Richard and I both started to get like quite busy with our with our day <laughs> jobs. So then we were like, okay, we can't do as much coding now. So yeah, that's when we started to bring on an iOS engineer initially. Um, and then once we went in full time, then we the first priority was like, let's get a dedicated machine learning engineer um, and let's start building out the data labeling team because that was really like the core for the initial release of the product um, was let's just get this to like be able to track your shots. Like it, fundamentally we need the AI to work. Otherwise like nothing else matters. Yeah. Um, so that was a really like long slog, I guess I would say of just like <laughs> collecting a bunch of data, like labeling it so many iterations and experiments on, on the machine learning models. Like it was crazy. There was one point last summer when we were working where we weren't able to get the models to run on the phone at all. Like they would run just fine in Python, like on our computer, but they wouldn't yeah. run on the phone. And we were just like, oh my God, we're so screwed. Like we're never <laughs> going to be able to make this app. And um, it's just crazy. Like there's so many moments like that where we thought we were going to like for sure fail. And then we, we somehow got over the hump. Um, and and then, yeah, most, most recently we, we didn't get, bring on um, our business development person and our UAX designer full time until like this year actually when we actually needed to prioritize design a little bit more. So like once we had the core product kind of working well, then it's like, okay, now we need to improve onboarding. We need to, you know, just make like that initial user experience really great and add tutorials, educate the users, all that stuff. So that's when we started prioritizing those things. And then now as we're starting to think about growth, you know, having a dedicated business development person is really helpful to just go around, do demos with clubs and, you know, manage a lot of those conversations. And on that front too, what is the strategy in terms of like where you're looking for partnerships, how you're deciding, you know, who, who's going to be the right partner initially? Because again, on that front, there's, there's clubs all over the place. I mean, obviously you're, you're in the Bay area, so there's that, but how are you looking at partnerships from, from a strategic standpoint of, of where and who you want to partner with? Yeah. So in terms of tennis clubs, we're focused just in the Bay area because it's just easier for us to go out in person. I think we can just go there very frequently and do user testing with the members who are playing there with the coaches, you know, all of that stuff. Um, so that's kind of been our focus initially, uh, over time, obviously we want to build a model that's going to scale to like any club anywhere. Um, but right now it's just, we're starting really small. We're just focusing on basically like two clubs here in the Bay area and, um, just working really, really closely with them, getting kind of like a high frequency, high density of free of feedback. Um, and then in terms of federations, we've been focusing mainly on Tennis Australia. So we worked really closely with them through an accelerator that we went through this summer with Techstars. 
Um, so now we have a really close relationship with Tennis Australia. So we've just been working like super, super close with them, like talking to them almost every day. Um, and again, we're trying to come up with a model there where once we figure out what works, um, what kind of what a partnership actually looks like, then that would scale to basically any country's federation. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the way we're going about it. So we're just really focused on, you know, a few players initially. And then we'll once we get a model that's repeatable, then we can start scaling it out. Yeah. And with the Techstars Accelerator, how did you decide to go to an accelerator? And then how did you set on Techstars specific, specifically? Yeah, that was an interesting one. I mean, I felt like we weren't really considering going to an accelerator actually at this time because we had we had a decent amount of, um, you know, funding. And we also had some really awesome investors and advisors on board who've made successful companies recently. So um, I felt like we were in a pretty good position, but this opportunity just kind of came up. They actually like reached out to us and um, it just seemed like a great opportunity to just move a little bit faster than yeah. what we were. And then also, I mean, to work with Tennis Australia would be huge. I mean, they own the Australian Open. So that's one of the four grand slams. And <laughs> yep. people typically consider Tennis Australia like the most innovative country for tennis. So I think um, it just made a lot of sense for us with with who we wanted to work with. And we just felt like we'd be able to have a kind of a step change in the company if we worked with them and, you know, just iterated the product with their feedback and just their amazing network of people that they know. I mean, they've been able to make such amazing introductions to like really senior people at various uh, companies, like in the apparel space and the equipment space, as well as, you know, just other federations. So uh, it's just been awesome. I mean, I think that's, that's something that probably made it worth it just in itself. Yeah, and I had that echoed with a few other guests that have been through Techstars, and some people have been through uh, Y Combinator, 500 Startups, and there are obviously the, the connections is a huge, a huge part of that. I mean, that's that's what they're mm-hmm. doing it for, and obviously the investment is nice as well. Uh, but the connection you get to that to help your your company grow because ultimately these you know companies want to scale who are going to go through the accelerator. And and just coming back to the the product real quick, with this product, I mean, what are the things you're you're doing to to tweak, to adjust, to make it better. Cause at that high level, it's like, okay, you're going to track, you're going to track the ball. You have all these different things, but what are you thinking about from the product standpoint in terms of how you evolve it, how you improve it on like a, you know, day-to-day basis? Yeah. I mean, one thing we've been doing right now um, is just trying to make it easier to use. I think that's really kind of a big key to it. And that's actually what's probably our biggest differentiator compared to our competitors is just the ease of use. I think we're already the easiest to use out of all of our competitors, but we're always trying to get like another 10x improvement on that. So, you know, just adding like onboarding um, materials. We recently added just like a bunch of stuff that educates you on how to use the app, which we didn't have before. Actually, um, we started adding tutorials as well. So when you enter like specific screens for the first time, you get a tutorial on like how to actually interact with that screen, almost like a video game sort of. Um, so really trying to just make things more intuitive. We've also started cutting out features that um, we know aren't used very often. Um, and just kind of end up making it more bloated and like just kind of distracts the user. So that's been one thing. Um, and we also just been kind of really intentionally designing the product in a way that it kind of guides you to do what we kind of want you to do and what you think <laughs> you're going to get the most value out of. I mean, it sounds like sinister, but it's like we want, we know like what you came here for. Yeah. So we don't want to direct you to other things that like, you know, you're, we know you're not going to like care about and it's just going to like ruin the experience for you. So it's really just kind of design things in that way. Um, and so I think there's still a lot of work we have to do there, um, but that's been a big focus for us on the design side now and just the product side in general is just how do we make this easier to use? How do we make it really clear? Um, and, you know, it's just like super efficient uh, use case, but it's been good. I mean, I think 
most people now who use it for the first time, they'll tell us like, oh, it's a magical experience, which is great. That's exactly what you want to hear. Um, but you know, I think it's just like getting, I think it's getting more people to that magical experience. I think that's, that's the next, next thing that we're focusing on. It's funny, the, the amount of work that goes into making that a magical experience where it's just so easy for the user. And then on the back end, you're like, oh, can you even make this work? You know, when you first were kind of making it and everything, like, is this even possible? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's so funny. I mean, it's like, you would think that the hardest part about this is like all the machine learning, which probably is true, but it's like, there's a million other things that you have to also solve. Like, like that's great if you can just do the machine learning, but there's like so much more here. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. How do you put put in the, the idea of like uh, gamification or competition within this? Obviously, inherently, you know, they're competing by the, each other. But you mentioned having athletes alongside of just everyday tennis players. Like, where does that come into play in terms of in terms of the product? Yeah, that's an interesting. I mean, you know, the first element of gamification that we introduced was leaderboards, so you could see leaderboards on various stats um, around the world or just kind of amongst your friends. And that was actually more popular than we thought. So I think there's definitely something there. We haven't fully explored that yet. I think one big thing that we're actually going to be releasing um, in a couple of weeks, this is actually inspired by iOS 14 with the, with the new widgets, um, but you'll be able to track weekly goals. So you could say like, I want to hit um, at least 200 serves this week faster than 75 miles per hour. I want to hit at least, you know, 500 backhands that are top spin and so on. So you can set like very specific goals. And so we'll let you choose like up to three goals. Um, and I think that's part of gamifying the process as well, because then you'll kind of have something to kind of look to, look forward to for the week. So it kind of motivates you to come back and like play more tennis essentially. Um, and then you can actually see how you're improving over time. So you're almost kind of like leveling up your game. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that we're doing there. And then in the future, we'll also be releasing things like badges that you can earn you know based on like certain milestones in the app so then that's going to make it feel even more like a video game i would say um but yeah i mean there's there's a lot of unexplored territory there in terms of gamification and especially like competing with friends you know like challenging friends to specific goals things like that um so we're just kind of scratching the surface there but i think that that's going to have to be a major part of the app i think it's going to be very important for just long-term user retention and um, just making the experience like super fun and just, you know, changing the way that, that people play tennis essentially and think about tennis. Yeah. And you had mentioned Strava earlier and I, I, I got into mm -hmm. Strava because of COVID actually. I used to be uh, just running the treadmill. It was just convenient and easy in, in my apartment. And, yeah. and as soon as COVID kind of hit and the, uh, you know, the whole quarantine situation. I'm like, well, I can't run on the treadmill anymore. I'm running outside. And the only way I got to that point was with Strava because of the gamification of like, oh, I can see, you know, how my friends are doing. I can see my progress along the way. I did have the goals of a certain number of miles. You can see you know, your time and the, the, the detail they go into with, with those stats, even from someone who's like, you know, aspiring runner, I call myself, uh, mm -hmm. I still want to see those things. And I'm still curious about those things. And I imagine it's very similar on the tennis front with someone playing tennis. Like they want to see these stats and when you have them and make it easy for them, like, oh, here's your training week or week, or here's your progress. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to keep using this every time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think tennis players are pretty competitive, right? And they're, it's, it's a very technical sport. So it's like one where you're always trying to like improve make little small margins here and there to just like win more points. And a lot of times it's just a difference of a few points when you lose a match. So um, I think it's even more stats driven probably. So it's very interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people are just, that's, that's a big hook for people, I think, to come to the app initially is like, Ooh, I want to see like how fast I serve, you know, things like that. Um, but what's been interesting is what we found is at least within, within our app, like 
the stats are great. I think if you're a really serious player, but if you're an amateur player, like after the first couple times, like it's not really going to keep you in the app. Like, you know, it, your speed isn't going to change that much unless you're like really <laughs> working to improve your game. So if you're more of a casual yeah. player, you just play tennis for like fitness reasons. You know, the stats probably become kind of vanity metrics at a certain point. But what's interesting, what we found is a lot of those users who are more casual, they really love the video highlights because that's something that's different every time. Like you have, you're going to have a different experience every time you go on the court. You're going to have a different rally, a different shot that you hit. Um, and so that's actually been the stickiest point um, for the more casual players, which is like pretty fascinating. We didn't expect this because I think most of us on the team are the serious players who care about the stats. <laughs> but um, but we've we've certainly found this like new market of people who are just playing for fun and they just want to like get their highlights and like share it on social media with their friends and family. And like, that's for all they care about really. Um, so it's it's been interesting to see that kind of dichotomy in the user base, um, but I'm glad we've been able to kind of serve both needs. And I think there's a lot of things we can do there for that more casual user in the future too. Like one, one thing we which would be really cool for us to do once our technology gets accurate enough is if we could keep score for you mm. um, and that would make the sport like a lot more accessible to people who maybe aren't as familiar with the scoring because a lot of people are really confused like what's love 15 and all this stuff like it's and this is kind of weird yeah. like the scoring is just like so strange um and so if you've played it for a long time like it's easy but like i think for new people it's like so weird so i think if we could find a way to make that more accessible we could even in invent our own scoring like imagine you're just playing with somebody and you're not even serving but you just want to um, keep score and your score is like how many shots you hit in so far like that's your score yeah. that's it and it's like so simple and i think there's like basically new games that we can invent within the context of tennis um, with our technology. So I think I'm really excited about that future. And I think that's going to apply to everybody, but I think it's going to really bring in more people to the sport, which is something I care about a lot. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. There's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with that, it's like, I actually was just talking about this recently with a, a different game I was playing. Uh, I think we were playing a board game or something with my friends. We were like, mm -hmm. we're talking about the rules and I'm like, wait a minute, this is all arbitrary anyways. Someone made this game up. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah, we true. made this, the whole point was to have something fun to play that whatever. So it's like, you know, where yeah. people make their own rules for even like Monopoly or something. You have little custom rules with whoever you play with potentially. Like right. I imagine for Swing Vision, it's like, yeah, people, especially more casual players just want a fun experience and if, if swing vision yeah. helps them on that it's like oh like i'd be way more inclined to, to even do it to try you know different yeah. modes of it per se yeah yeah exactly so i think um yeah there's just this is a lot of opportunity i think to do a lot of really cool things as the technology evolves over time um so but yeah i mean it's just it's we're starting to see some hints of that now which is cool yeah and with that user feedback and you know getting more and more feedback along the way as you continue on and getting all this different data on things. I mean, how are you kind of iterating on, on everything you're doing with that? Because to your point that there's, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. How are you deciding on what you actually implement? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's so many different directions we can go. I think for a lot of us, like I think a lot of our efforts, the, the machine learning portion is kind of core to unlocking a lot of these additional things. And so when we try to um, I guess, think about what things we might want to do in the future and how we want to like align our current strategy to that. We try to focus on things today that are going to unlock as many things as possible. Um, and so a good example of this is when we first started working on Swing Vision, you know, there was one route where we could have gone where we would have focused a lot on just like the technique analysis. So we would have like analyzed your form, you know, how much are you bending your knees? How's your follow through, all that stuff. And like really focus on like analyzing the player and the racket. Yeah. Um, 
or we could have focused on just analyzing the ball trajectory and like focusing on the ball. And, and we chose to just analyze the ball. Like we didn't, our first version of the app didn't even track the players at all. Like it had no context of like what a player is. It just knew that this ball is going back and forth. And like, this is where the ball is right now. Like that's pretty much it. And we focus on that because we knew that that was going to enable um, the stats tracking around, you know, shot speed and placement and all that stuff. But then we also knew that as that gets more accurate, it's also going to unlock line calling which is a massive um, problem today in tennis. And, um, and at the same time, we knew that it was going to enable a lot of our highlight stuff because that's how we're able to do our highlights. We know like when the rally begins and ends based on like, what's happening with the ball, essentially. So that was kind of one decision we made there where we kind of looked ahead and we said, okay, this specific technology is going to unlock these experiences that we know are going to be really valuable for people. Um, and then that's kind of how we prioritized it. And then obviously, um, you know, we did a lot of user interviews as well to make sure like those experiences were valuable. So, um, you know, a lot of our user interviews have told us like since the beginning that line calling is like the one feature that, you know, pretty much everybody would pay for, like even casual players <laughs> and serious players would pay for that because it's such a serious problem. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's how we kind of try to validate like what experiences people actually want. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you want to find, at least for us, it's like we want to find the, the, the piece of technology that's going to enable the most experiences down the road, like as that technology just naturally improves. So it's like kind of the minimum work you need to unlock the most things, I think. Um, that's at least how we're thinking about it right now. Yeah. And and on that note with the with the user interviews, just how did you structure that and and kind of reach out to get that? Because I, I mean it's so important to have that feedback. And I think it's not yeah. really used enough by people, but how did you do that, Swapna? Um, yeah, so we originally were doing them quarterly. So I think we did our first like really major set of interviews, like probably in January this year. And then since then we were doing them quarterly and, um, we added a lot of questions around just, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty long survey actually, but it's just like, you know, what do you like most about swing vision? Like, what could we do to improve it? Um, we, we added some questions actually, it was, it, this whole thing was inspired by, um, the, that article that those guys from the superhuman uh, wrote about, uh, you know, yeah. assessing product market fit. Cause at that time we were like, how do we get to product market fit? And then this article kind of came out at the right time for us. So we started reading about those questions and those made a lot of sense. Like, you know, asking how would you feel if you could no longer access the product and things like that. So we've started asking those questions as well as a way for us to kind of just gauge um, what our like product market fit score is, I guess. And so in addition to those kind of four questions that are mentioned in that article, um, we just added a few others that we like cared about and thought were important. Um, and then what we would do is, so that was like the initial survey. And then what we would do is if you wanted to spend some time and talk with us on an interview, you could do that as well, like as a follow-up. Um, and so we offered like a 90 day trial to anybody who did that. So it was like very generous. Yeah. Um, and so we got a lot of people to do it. I mean, I think our first survey, we had like 300 survey responses. We probably did like over hundred user interviews in January. Um, and it's just kind of exploded from there, but, um, now we, now it's just like automated. So we will do the survey like automatically, like 60 days after you join. So it's just kind of always done on a rolling basis. So we basically have like continuous feedback now, rather than just doing like one survey to everybody, like once a quarter. Um, so we've definitely evolved that portion of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, like the user interviews are the single, I think most important part of getting feedback for us now. Um, just being able to talk through like the journey of the user, like how they actually use the product, how does it fit into their routine? Like, what do they do when they go home exactly? Like, what do they do in the app? What do they actually care about doing? Um, you know, what what things could we improve for them? What ideas do they have? We, we always ask that as well. Just like, you know, if we had all the money in the world, like what would you want us to make? 
So we ask questions like this all the time. Um, and you just get like really cool insights like this. I think like just doing interviews is so cool because you can go down a path that you wouldn't have with just like standard questions on a form. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of, you know, you ask about experience and you say, oh, what if I did this? And then they say, oh, what if I did this? And you just, you can go down this like rabbit hole, but then you can find something that's like really valuable. So I think um, that's been, that's been actually really cool. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so much value you can get from that. And, and I don't think it really happens enough. Uh, you mentioned the superhuman mm-hmm. article and I read, I think I read the same one, or at least I, I may, I might have heard him on a podcast, but talking about that process and how useful that is uh, to go yes. through that and really have these insights that, okay, may not, may not have thought of something or you have something that completely different. Cause like you said, you're more of the uh, very competitive on the professional side of things with with tennis versus a casual player mm-hmm. may think completely different from your team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. you wouldn't necessarily yeah. know that. And one of the things I want to just talk about briefly is uh, the the business model pricing behind this. How did you come mm-hmm. to what that is today with Swing Vision? Yeah, so this was also another one that we just got from user interviews. Honestly, like we just asked people, you know, don't worry about what the current price is right now. Just like, what is this worth to you today? Um, and then we also asked questions like, okay, if we added line calling it and so on and so on, like, what would it be worth for you? You know, at that point. So we asked like a bunch of people about that, and that's kind of how we settled on our current prices, but. We're still, that's just kind of your initial guess. I think, you know, what people say is different than what people are actually going to do. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm sure people will typically underreport. Like if they really find value, they'd probably willing to spend like an extra two or $3 or something. Right. So yeah. you don't want to just settle on that, but I think it's a good initial guess. Like you got to start somewhere. So I think it's, it's the best data driven guess you can start with. It's better than, you know, looking at like other comparable products or anything like that, because you're making your own thing and it has its own value to, to your specific user base. Um, and especially for us, cause we're making something so new that they've never had, like, there's nothing comparable to what's existed before. So I, I feel like this is a good way for us to start. Um, so that's why we've settled right now on our price. So it's like $15 a month, or if you pay yearly, then it's t- essentially $10 a month. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to experiment with this and we're still going to like make adjustments to this. So this is no, this is definitely not like our final pricing. Yeah. Um, I think we're still in the stage where we're playing around with things. We're still getting feedback from people who say that it's too expensive. We still get feedback from people who say, wow, this is dirt cheap. Like for this AI technology, you're just charging me 15 bucks a month. Like, <laughs> nothing. So it's very interesting to see like the spectrum. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we have to still change the pricing quite a bit. I think we do need to also maybe potentially like split up the tiers a little bit. Maybe have one that's more geared towards serious players, one that's geared more towards amateurs. So, um, you know, so still figuring it out there, but that's kind of how we've gone about it so far. Yeah. And I always like to ask, cause that's, that's something that's also, I think neglected. And I've talked to people before who are literally like, like pricing mm-hmm. experts with startups and they say, yeah, the amount of effort that goes in that is typically very, very little in terms of the actual pricing. Mm-hmm. People like yeah. see competitors, they go 10% higher, 10% lower, or the same, you know, something like yeah. that. When it's a lot more, it goes into it. And for context of people, this is being recorded and in September 24th, 2020. So when you hear those prices, just know it could be <laughs> very different later on as well. And and one of the things I have to ask about is you went from you know Tesla to now being a founder. How has that transition gone the last year plus? Um. Yeah, that's been interesting. It's like, it's it's interesting. I mean, I feel like I was already sort of a founder while I was at Tesla because I was working on this part-time, you know, for so long. Like I was yeah. actually working part-time on the Watch app like back when I was at Columbia doing my PhD. So it's like, I've been working on this for a while, but I think um, definitely my my experience and my roles have changed a lot. I mean, and now I have to basically like manage this team of people, which I wasn't maybe doing before. It was just like me and my co-founder, just, you know, a couple of friends working on something. 
so I think that's been very, you know, really fun experience. Um, and I think I'm just like talking to people more in general now, I guess, because like when I was at Tesla, like, I mean, yeah, okay, we would present, you know, to Elon or we'd have like meetings here, there. But like one thing at Tesla, especially is like meetings are just like typically a waste of time. Like you want to avoid meetings if possible. Um, and so it's just so much more about like, let's get the work done. Let's just like move fast. And so, you know, especially as an engineer, right? Like you're not really like making like big presentations or like pitching to people. So I think um that definitely has just evolved me personally i think now like um talking to so many people like pitching to investors talking to brands talking to just like execs at different companies um i think that's an experience i probably wouldn't necessarily have had an experience doing as an engineer so um you know definitely the role has changed a lot i'd say compared to like a year ago um but i'm enjoying it like you know i i think i'm still like an engineer at heart i love i love like all the numbers and the math around it too um Sometimes I can't like help but code a little bit because I just have to. <laughs> it's just so fun for me. But um, but I think you know it's it's I enjoy what I'm doing. So it's been really good. It's definitely very rewarding. I would say, and I'm glad that I'm working on something that I'm enjoying. Um, I think that makes that keeps me motivated, and like kind of makes me obsessed. But it, it's fun though. Yeah, and to that point, I was just talking to I think it was Matthew Stout whose episode was released, released today uh, from Applied VR, and he's talking about how you start a company and you think it's going to be you know all strategy and all these different things that you mm. think it's going to be, but then when you actually mm -hmm. get down to it, it's like fundraising and people things. Uh, yes. tends to be the majority of it as a founder, which especially if you're building a venture backed company, uh, I think it's important for people to understand that that side of things and that's the realities of being you know founder or CEO of the company. Um, but yeah, like you said, with being an engineer at heart, you can't just get that up completely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, you're totally right. I think, you know, a lot of it's like just storytelling, basically, almost. And that's something I still need to work on quite a bit. But I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of like learning along the way. But that's, that's essentially what your role kind of begun, uh, becomes eventually, because I think initially, you're kind of like, you're like a product CEO, you're like really, really focused on the product, which I, I think I'm still am to quite an extent. Um, but eventually you just become like this like you know evangelist and you're just telling people like shouting at the top of the mountain you know so that's kind of how it transitioned yeah and i feel like in your case uh, especially with you know kind of bleeding edge tech is a little bit different than other companies as well yeah, in terms of you need right. to be in terms of like you being you know being on the product side so much is because it's this type of company as well it's not like something else where you really don't have to be as involved in the product. It's like, that's kind of the thing right now. It seems yeah, like. Yeah, you're, you're, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think any, any tech, any company that's going into artificial intelligence in particular, like there's, there's so much that needs to be done before you can ship a product. Like you can't just, you know, like come up with a product in a month. Like it's just not possible because you, there's like kind of a critical mass of like data you need to collect and like all this stuff. So there's a little bit of a barrier there. So I think, yeah, that's a good point. And I think um, my background in particular is just like, so <laughs> specific for what we need so like a lot of that context needs to come into the day-to-day -day as well yeah um but but and I'm, I'm glad with like the team we're building and especially like our machine learning engineer like he's just like so good and i think over time i'm hoping you know it gets to a point where i don't need to be as as involved and on the day-to-day -day. but it is fun to like just kind of like brainstorm ideas now and then just like you know help problem solve a little bit i think yeah um that was something i learned a lot from elon too because like he was really hands-on and um even though he wasn't involved like in everything day to day, obviously he's just way too busy, but um, he was still kind of, he would help problem solve. And like, if you were stuck on something or like just stuck somewhere, like he would just brainstorm ideas and things like that, even though 
he knows that you're probably more of an expert than he is, but still like a lot of his just kind of first principles thinking would help you think of things in a different way and just force you to be like a little bit more creative or. Yeah. And on that note, I, yeah, I had to ask like, what, what else in terms of working for Elon did you, did you take away from that experience or that's, that's even helped you um, as you've been growing now swing vision? Mm. Cause everyone kind of, I think thinks about that in terms of whoa, Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm just curious that for you, what was it like? Yeah. I mean, he was so inspirational. I think he, he's probably the hardest working person I've met. Like he was just constantly working. I know he, I know he tweets a lot, but he, he works a lot too. Like, it's crazy. Like he's just like constantly on it. Like when he would be there, I mean, I think he was at Tesla on like Tuesdays or something. So he would just be like in meetings all day. And then we had our slot for our like one hour autopilot meeting, but he was just meeting like back to back. It was like manufacturing, like design, like reliability, like model three, like whatever, like just all these different meetings he would be doing um, back to back and just like constantly on it. But he was just like in every meeting, like he was providing valuable feedback and like asking probing questions. Um, so I think that was so inspirational to see like the CEO working so hard, yeah. um, which I, I don't think is necessarily the case at a lot of companies. Um, and, um, and then, I mean, he would do things like, uh, you know, come onto the factory and like sleep, like in the factory. Like we did have one meeting with him in the room where he slept and I saw the couch in the corner and I was like, holy crap, like he literally slept here today. Like that's incredible for a CEO to do that. So, um, he's just like in the trenches, you know, like that's what it feels like. Um, so I think that was just very inspirational. And then the other part, I think that really stuck with me also was, um, just as like thinking from like first principles. And that's like something he pushes a lot and just kind of intuition. Like I think his intuition for solving problems is so good. Um, and I remember like one meeting where we had where I was trying to convince him that we needed to get like additional radar sensors on the car, like to be able to detect how far away the cars are like around us. Cause I was like, man, all these other companies are using like a bunch of LIDAR sensors. Like, can't we get a few more radars on the cars? Yeah. Um, but he's like, I mean, and I was like, they're not that expensive. And, and then that's where he kind of, was able to zoom out of what, of our specific autopilot problem and zoom out to the big picture that like, you know, we need to make these cars as affordable as we can. And even adding a few sensors here, I know it's going to make your engineering job a little bit easier, but um, that, that few dollars that you add to each car, like it makes a big difference over time in terms of just increasing the cost of the car. Like every, like every dollar you like, you know, don't try to peel back. It just starts to add up, you know, like yeah. you have to draw a line somewhere. And so he had like a really hard line there and he was like, humans can drive with their eyes. You should just need a camera. You don't need a bunch of radar sensors. So that was like, his just like super strong on it. And so he really pushed us on it. And it, and it was incredible because we were able to, um, a lot of the work that I did, we filed some patents around being able to do things without the radar. So it was just like, it forced us to be, you know, creative about it, which I think was like very, very cool. Like he almost made us uh, do things that we couldn't think that we could do ourselves. Um, so I think it's cool. Like he, he kind of gets, brings the best out of you, I would say, which is, I think, very important as well for CEO. Like that's what you want. You want a CEO who's going to like make you grow and like push you to the limit and it's going to be hard, but then you're going to come out of it being like, wow, I accomplished something that I didn't even know I could do. Like I, I'm a lot more capable than I thought I was. Um, so it's just, yeah, that's, I guess, my experience. Yeah. I mean, what an experience to have. And then to be able to, you know, parlay that into now your, your own company and deciding, you know, how you think through problems and how you think through growing your team and the work ethic and everything else from, from having that firsthand experience of, you know, I mean, people can say what you want about Elon, but he is transformational yeah. entrepreneur. I have a lot of like, he's, I've read his book. I've, I've read a lot about him and it's like, yeah, yeah. there's so much that's, that's inspirational about him. I mean, the guy who's trying to solve problems in that capacity. And then, you know, the people who have worked for him then going on to solve other problems and create interesting things in the world, which 
swing vision being one of those things as well. And um, I'm curious, any any particular books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been impactful for you? Um, that's a good one. I mean, uh, I don't read as much as I should, I should say, first of all. <laughs> I'm a bit embarrassed to say this. I should be reading like way more than I do. Um, I do, I have found a lot of inspiration from just like articles these days. Like I think just like short form reading has been really effective for me, whether it's like written by VCs or other co-founders, like like the Superhuman article, I think was very transfer, transformational for us. Um, but in terms of actual books, um, recently I read Zero to One by Peter Thiel, just yeah. like kind of randomly, but um, I just found that such a great book. Um, just way to think about, you know, how do you actually think about creating a startup idea? How do you choose what to pursue? Um, and obviously I think Lean Startup has been really important for us too, in terms of just trying to get feedback and iterate really quickly. So that's just like a book that like everybody should read, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have the best answer on this one. There's no right answer. So you know, there's, no, there's no amount of books you need to do or should read. It's just, uh, I would always have to have to ask for, for other people wondering and, and where can people go to learn more about Swing Vision and connect with you as well if they want? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, just, search swing.tennis that's our website pretty simple if you want to download the app it's just swing vision one word um, on the app store so we should be the first result there um and yeah if you want to connect with me you can hit me up on linkedin <laughs> it's my name yeah swapnil s-w-u-p-n-i-l so i'm the only one who spells it that way i think so it's easy <laughs> to find me <laughs> um not very hard to find but Perfect. um yeah, I'll be I'll be sure to link that all up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast and uh, people can find everything discussed in this episode as well. Links to those things in the show notes. And Swapnil, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is super fun. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.